Hello, I'm Ken Barrett. Welcome to Brainland Podcast number six. In the last podcast, I spoke to Professors Uta and Chris Frith about their innovative book, Two Heads, a 300-page, well-referenced comic about their work in cognitive neuropsychology, specifically how our brains communicate with each other. The research and factual material in the book came from the profs, but their heavy lifting was done by their son, writer Alex Frith, and illustrator Daniel Locke. That's who I'm speaking to via Zoom in this podcast. It's quite a deep dive into how you go about telling science stories in this unusual format. Uh, hi, I'm Daniel Locke. I'm an artist and illustrator. and I live in Brighton. I work with uh, scientists quite often. Hi, I'm Alex Frith. I'm the author of Two Heads. Um, and I'm also a, uh, I write children's non-fiction books for Osborne Publishing. So thanks so much for taking the time. I realise, unlike your mum and dad, Alex, you know, you, you've just got a busy day job. And, uh, yeah, so, so thanks ever so much. I, okay, can I start with you then, Alex? The, the profs couldn't decide how long all this thing took. To say how long it took is a bit tricky because we weren't working on it every day continuously. But essentially, I think 2015, is when we started talking about it and 2022 was when the book was published so you could argue seven years wow but I think yeah. it was probably more like three years of work uh, maybe a bit more um and it started with my parents winning this kind of prize from I'm going to forget the name now the Jean Nico Institute in Paris I believe and um, this was a kind of a, a joint prize for their kind of two life works, basically. And they were invited to stay and they gave a series of four lectures, which I think are still available online somewhere. And the theme of that was all social cognition. And the other half of the prize was that they then had a grant of money, which they needed to use towards creating a book on the same theme as the lectures. Um, and the prose version of this book um, is about to come into existence from MIT Press. But my parents were not so interested in doing a prose book, so they've done it out of obligation. But they thought, well, actually, what would be more fun is to try and do it as a comic. And I can't completely tell you why that thought struck them, except that, like me, they you know, they like reading comics. But when, having had that idea, they immediately asked me if I would want to be involved, because obviously I like comics even more than they do. And my day job as a kind of a children's book writer means I've got some kind of experience in it. Any reservations on there? Because a big deal. Of... Um, not really. It just seemed, uh, when we first started, we had no idea what might happen. And we thought, well, it's worth having a go. We kind of talked a bit about like how to turn it into some kind of story and what structure. But mostly the challenge was thinking, well, we can't make it a comic without an artist. So the, the first thing we did was try and write some sample pages to send to potential artists and that's where dan comes in oh right so yeah i was going to say how did you what stage did you get involved in dan um i think i can't actually remember exactly how i heard about the project now but as, as alex was saying it was like an open call i think you asked a number of people didn't you i, I think a friend of mine suggested that um at, at, that, at that point i was just beginning to work um, more and more with scientists 
So obviously, I didn't have any sort of connection to neuroscience or or, or anything like that. It, I knew it was the sort of field I wanted to be in. I enjoyed working with scientists and talking to them. Uh, so I just sort of submitted a page. It was like it was about Galston, wasn't it? The page, uh, Alex. And yeah, Michael. it was a, a page that we ended up not using in the final book. Yeah. Um, it was telling the story of Galston and the. Um, uh, kind of guess the weight of the ox competition or bull possibly <laughs> so it was like an audition piece was it is this the yeah. idea oh, yeah. yeah I mean that, I think that's quite standard when when you're like if you don't know an illustrator and you're looking for illustrators this is what in my my day job writing children's books is, is typically how we do it so we write a few pages and then find artists whose work we think looks promising and, and send a few of them a sample to do and in this case, I think we contacted maybe five or six artists, more or less completely out of the blue. And in the end, actually, I think, Dan, only you and two others actually sent something back because the other people were either too busy or not interested. Mm-hmm. And Dan's sample kind of rose to the top of the pile, basically because my parents could stand the way that he'd drawn them. <laughs> 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 they were going to be drawn repeatedly in the book. They thought, well, we'd better Absolutely, be Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We're looking, so. <laughs> That's yeah, hilarious. Were you still working on Out of Nothing then, Dan? Because this is yeah. this yeah. a big, kind of a well, different book, isn't it, really? The, the, yeah, the scientist that's right. Shamefully, I've just remembered how I um, heard about the project. So I was working on Out of Nothing. It's a very different book. But um, we had like a, a, a an amazing um, science advisor on that project. I should say that I, I made Out of Nothing um, with another artist called David Blandy. Um, and we were we had like a science consultant on that project, a man called Alex Rutherford, who works for the BBC, he does various different things as a writer as well, really brilliant human being. Um, and he has a connection to Uta and Chris. Chris. So I, I should name, name check him because I'm eternally grateful for him pointing me in their direction. And that, that's how I heard about it in the end. So, yeah, I had this weird period where all my friends thought I'd gone completely balmy. Um, where I was working on these two enormous books simultaneously um, and trying not to let that show when I had any interactions with Alex. Because obviously at this point, uh, I, hope, I, I like to think we're friends now, uh, but at that point it was, a very, it, was, it was a much more sort of professional relationship. So I was desperately trying to um, keep all the plates spinning. But I had two young kids, so, uh, you know, there was no alternative. So there was, a, 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 I would say, about a year in the middle of the project where things were sort of on hold, partly because of me with a young baby. But also there was a period when we were waiting quite a while to get kind of detailed feedback from our editors. Yeah. Um, How soon did they, because I, I gather what they, uh, Chris and Yuta said, that they initially they thought maybe we'll have a website and we'll put it mm-hmm. on there. And, and then they got approached by uh, a, an agent. How soon in the process did, did the, the agent come? Or did a publisher come on board, I suppose? So it was after we'd kind of found Dan, and Dan had drawn sort of very rough sketches for two or three chapters of the book, I think. Yeah. And I think in the same way that that Dan was aware of people in the science community talking about the idea of this book, the, the, the agent that we, we ended up with, um, Patrick Walsh, by coincidence, had just left the agency, the sort of literary agency that he was with, to start a new one. And he was particularly focused on science projects so I don't quite know how he got wind of it but as soon as he did he kind of pounced (laughs) um and he very quickly I mean I think he partly pounced on us because he kind of had an idea that he knew of one or two publishers that would be interested so almost as soon as we kind of connected with him he connected us with publishers so that was all it was definitely much quicker than any of us thought might happen and kind of very lucky and grateful for that 
did publishers buy it quickly or, or did it take some time to get somebody on board? No, it was very quick. Um, it was a particularly, so it's um, Scribner's is the kind of the New York based publisher that the ones that immediately wanted it. And then I think they must have some kind of partnership. So Bloomsbury in the UK signed on almost immediately. But I think because they knew that Scribner's were interested. Going back to your um, other book, uh, Dan, uh, Out of Nothing, I mean, it, it feels a very different animal t- to me. Yeah. Obviously, I read it, and much more visual storytelling, I would say, because I guess it's, it's a novel, isn't it, really? Although it's the whole of life is, is sort of <laughs> yeah. encompassed in it. Um, and every page could be, you know, on the wall of a gallery, really, to me. Oh, it's mean, the, the, it's a, whereas the, 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 there's a lot more factual stuff in... in um, two heads really can you just contrast the experience of working on them both yeah it was it was so I, I guess out of nothing both David Blandy and I are, are like fans of science and interested in science David has a well, really successful um, career as a, a video scientist and he's often engaging with science and the history of science in that practice and so we we both come from the, the place of like being interested in science and engaging with science just generally and out of nothing was just like an attempt to respond to scientific account of where the world comes from from like a layman's perspective mm. we wanted to make right at the beginning I mean the goals we set for ourselves were absolutely ridiculous I'm really proud of them but with hindsight they're hilariously hubristic we wanted to make science myth of the creation story right. a creation story that would which would be underpinned by like the story of uh the scientific story of of, of nature and stuff well it's not a story is it you you get knotted up in words because this is the, you know to have the best of our knowledge this is how things happen but what I'm trying to say is that like stories, you know, stories respond emotionally to a subject matter. We wanted to take science and inject it with emotion, but still allow it to have its own internal integrity, still allow it to operate, you know, the way that science does, the best we can get to factual account of things. Into that, we also threw in creativity because we were thinking, you know, that science is sort of like the ultimate creative activity well, I think we see it see art and science as sort of two separate things and I just don't see them like that I agree no, I agree totally I, I when I was a clinician I used to wake up in the middle of the night with creative thoughts would come at three in the morning and then when I actually did my uh, MA in fine art I it, the same thing was happening oh it's the same part of my brain doing this do you know what I mean? yeah, yeah I, <laughs> creativity I think so. isn't it really we arbitrarily yeah. divide them up sort of thing really. yeah yeah, and I, I guess that I mean both of them rely on imagination, don't they? Like you well, have to have completely. an imaginative response, and also a deep curiosity about things in order to be a scientist or be an artist. So we were trying to put those things into the book, um, however successfully we managed. It's really kind of you to say that you know the art was lovely, the writing, mm-hmm. a lot of the writing comes from David. We sort of collaborated quite deeply on it, being both both of us being artists, and the the experience of making two heads yeah it's much it is much more illustrative of like trying to just draw what happens in an experiment trying to think of something useful to say about the contrast of the two i guess you're you're responding it must have been it must have evolved it must be much more collaborative uh alex you know that you i was going to ask about that i mean presumably you didn't just write the whole script and then hand hand it to dan it, 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 oh. It felt like very iterative, you know what I mean, that you, you must have tossed it back and forth. Oh, yeah, yeah. We went through several versions, and typically, you know, what I would send to Dan, he would say, 
you're cramming too much. I need to spread this out. Or right. often this particular panel would be beautiful if it was, you know, a whole page in size. And then we kind of oh, rearrange exactly. it. One of the things that I was most kind of keen to try and achieve with two heads was to write a popular science sort of account in which we sort of quite painstakingly painstakingly unpick what the experiments were that people did and what the implications of the findings are, which is often, I think, the thing that people sort of gloss over when they're reading sort of science books. They kind of say, oh, studies show this, but they don't go into the details of the studies. And in order to do that, we kind of had to find ways to illustrate lots of step-by-step stuff. And that's where, you know, it wouldn't have worked without Dan pointing out things like, <laughs> you well, really need to break yeah, this image down. I think also I'd add to that, that Alex, I would receive these sort of panel breakdowns of each chapter. So Alex was deeply involved in the image making as well. Oh, so right. he would, mm. yeah, he would break down the pages for me. And into those, uh, into those breakdowns, he would pop his text. That would be the script and also some suggestions for images. And sometimes even photo reference where that was, relevant that's mostly just so, people reading yeah yeah so i so i well yeah and sometimes animals and things like that yeah. uh, i had i had this thing which would appear like on a monthly basis which <laughs> was a comic it just wasn't like full color images but it still mm. operated in the same way as a comic did so alex the, the, the relationship that alex and i sort of developed was sort of deeply uh collaborative right from the beginning it wasn't that i got like a film script mm-hmm. and worked from that it was something completely different and actually really incredible to work with i think the reason i couldn't find a way of con- uh, comparing and contrasting the two projects that i've done is because they were going along side by side so it was sort of one was feeding into the other <laughs> right, you know? right. yeah and um uh and and, and there were both these very sort of deep collaborations where the where the book sort of arose out of that collaboration rather than a, the product of different tasks being separated, which is typical in comics. In comics, you have these sort of like creative silos. Um, you're very unusual because of all the collaborations you've done. I mean, your ex-offenders and clinicians will come back to that. But, yeah. you know, one pictures illustrators typically is loving their drawing board and you know, yeah. that's how they like it, sort of 12 hours a day, really. But it, it sounds like you're quite visual as well then, Alex. That you, you know, if you create a, a script for mm. a comic, I guess you have to panel by panel say what you picture. Yeah, I think, I mean, there are some, there, there are versions of certain bits of comic scripting where you can just, say, fill the next couple of pages with two people having a conversation or with two people having a fight. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can trust the artist to kind of choreograph those things. I don't know. I, I quite like the challenge of thinking, how can I kind of communicate this idea with an image? And luckily, Dan was very good at pointing out when it didn't make sense. And I had to think again before he would say, how about trying this? And I'm like, yes, that's a much better idea. <laughs> um, one of the, the recurring things in, in graphic novels is how bloody miserable they are, frankly. You know what I mean? They come yeah. from a very dark place whereas out of nothing just the color palette was joyous well they're both actually joyous but particularly out of nothing it was very bright and very um pastel bright do you know what i mean it, it was it was a real pleasure to just, oh, just well, that's really <laughs> really. and I, I mentioned in my email that my uh, i gave it to my son for his birthday and my 11 year old grandson got hold of it and read it at a sitting so he oh, wow <laughs> that's impressive thank so, you uh, <laughs> yeah so influences can you can we talk about the what fed into it in terms of um just just to how you created it uh, well for two heads I, I, it's kind of 
almost so obvious it's perhaps boring but really it is my parents with a big influence as we sort of say early on in the comic it is genuinely the case that i don't know if it was like every evening but a significant number of evenings the family would be sat around the table and my parents would be talking to each other about what they'd been doing at work that day and obviously a lot of it was about the individual people because they basically worked in office buildings that were quite close together with colleagues that knew each other, but working in very separate sort of areas within neuroscience. And essentially, I would kind of get to have them describing to each other and also to me and my brother new experiments they've been doing and what the findings seemed to be and what was interesting and what was controversial. And I guess my thing was to try and recreate the sense of here are two knowledgeable, relatively nice people telling some kind of science information. And that's that's the kind of the biggest influence. But I mean, I guess the other answer is Tintin, Asterix, 2000 AD, Spider-Man. <laughs> um, you mentioned logic um, comics. That's the other thing. I, I've read it since because mm. it was in your acknowledgments. Yes. I think logic comics is the one that perhaps is credited with giving my parents the idea that it wasn't insane to try telling a sort of science information book right. in comics format. Right. Um, and yeah, I... I happened to also have picked up i remember seeing logic comics on the shelf in a bookshop thinking what on earth is this a comic that's trying to be about logic and and it was pretty good i don't know if you've read it but um, i have yeah i got it based on your recommendation yeah it's wittgenstein and bertrand russell is heavy going they they do it really well so i can see as oh if they can do that we can Mm. do this really how about you alex you're the visual i'll ask you a nerdy question in a minute but but Mm. what influenced you visually in this or or does it just just how you draw it um, is that a question for me? Yeah, um, yeah sorry, yeah. sorry, Dan. Okay, yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I made this uh, this sort of sample page, which had a sort of cartoonish Uta and Chris um, included in it, but they, they were slightly more realistic drawings, weren't they, Alex? And and it was all black and but white. You definitely you made their heads rounder and rounder as you went on. Yeah, I did. Example. I made yeah. so the the influence. So okay, there's a couple of things to say. The first is as I got to know. Alex, Uta, and Chris. I got to know what like deeply lovely people they are. They're some of the most generous and sort of sharing and lovely and interesting. Obviously, obviously interesting individuals I've ever met. And so uh, that that sort of consolidated this desire to make something which reflected that personality a bit. So we were working for the first couple of years. I was just making pencil drawings that were black and white. But as we went forward, I. I I was like, I really want this to be colour. I want it to have like the life and the vibrancy that these people have got in them. And then other, the influences I drew from were primarily like two sources. It was um, Peanuts, the um, the early like Mickey Mouse comic strips. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, God, my brain, I'm, my brain is freezing now, but they weren't made by Walt Disney, even though he signed them. They were made by this incredible guy, another artist. And basically this artist is credited now with uh defining the, those that that sort of suite of characters you know the, the disney characters we know them, donald duck and stuff like that they're all his doing really um but the, the art is incredible so easy to engage with yeah. and it's so friendly and approachable and i thought well this is a big serious subject but it should be accessible yeah, yeah. to everyone and the other the other reason for drawing on those two things <laughs> was that i thought Initially, it was going to be 150 pages, but it quickly became evident that we were going to be, um, it was going to be a much longer book. So I thought, well, you know, Mickey Mouse, those characters are designed to be drawn again and again and again. Like, 
So there's a practical reason, you know. Uh, Uta and Chris's heads did get more and more circular the more and more <laughs> I <threw> them. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and also the finally, the final thing I'd say is that um, I try to include sort of serious air quotes, quotation marks, serious drawings in amongst those sort of very highly stylized cartoon drawings. And they're supposed to be there at the time where the reader is sort of invited to consider something or to pause and spend a bit of time looking a bit, you know. Uh, so every time we draw like the brain, the architecture of the brain, I've tried to draw it seriously and pay attention to detail. And some of the some of the sequences where we're where, where we're conveying how a how a experiment works, I've done the same thing. So that people could have an opportunity to really see stuff. I'm a sort of a visual learner, you know. No, it's a nice, it's a nice mix, and you, you paint a lovely picture of childhood, Alex, as having a sort of a, a nightly night uh, seminar with his two. Kind of, yeah. And I think you bring it. Interestingly, when I chatted to them, the only thing they said they had reservations about was the way it foregrounds them, and whether hmm. that was a good idea. So, how did you convince them that, that was? Because it's, it's a lot of trust in that, isn't it? Really, because they're every page, aren't they? They're there telling yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, I think. But in a way, like perhaps sort of partly after the experience of reading Logic Comics and thinking this has done an amazing job of actually explaining some of the kind of quite fiddly bits to do with maths and logic and philosophy, I still felt that actually the reason why Logic Comics was fun to read was because it's also telling some biography about um, Bertrand Russell in particular, but also about the guy who was writing the comic and the artist he was working with. They put themselves into it. And essentially, Dan, I don't remember if we ever discussed this explicitly, but it just felt like we couldn't think of a way to have the book work without having narrators for it. And once yeah. we decided that, the only possible narrators were Chris and Uta. <clears throat> and in fact, as we got further into the book, we worked out that it was easier than, than perhaps I'd thought before to do very silly things with them, which is like removing their heads and putting them onto other bodies or dressing them up in costumes. I mean, if we'd thought of that earlier, we might have done it more at the beginning. And I think my parents would have been more comfortable being less real, as it were. Well, they said that as long as they look ridiculous, they 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 were they were happy with mm. it at the end. And, yeah, and it, it, that's the fantastic things about comics, isn't it? Because you can go anywhere and do anything, really. Yeah, in, in, yeah, you know, yeah. Just in a in in a few frames. Uh, talking about the script a little, I mean, in the, again that Dave Gibbons book, he, he recommends never going above two hundred words a page. Um, mm. You rarely went above 100 words a page. On your most busy page, I counted 192. Oh, that's good words. to know. But, I mean, I think yeah. an incredible job. of They're very verbal, verbose mm. people, aren't they, really? I mean, to do, do your day job feed into I know you're used to praising and... Most of my day job is is um, cutting down other people's text to make it shorter yeah. and more succinct. But there's also, there's a, there's a like, Dave Gibbons will be very aware of this. It's um, an Alan Moore rule of thumb. That no speech balloon should ever have more than 30 words and really 30 right. is indulgence yeah so i think i don't know if i was ever thinking about the number of words on a page but i was certainly thinking about minimum or maximum numbers in a panel so of your instinct actually talking about that um this is the nerdy question dan um mm. you in um watchman for instance and in in the steve ditko spider-man that they do the nine panels a page and you, yeah. you use that a lot here was that conscious or, or it obviously worked so that's one of the things that really came out from our, the collaboration between Alex and I. He actually led the way there. Right. So yeah, the, the, so the break, the mm. panel breakdown was led by Alex. That's that's what I mean about this very sort of tight mm. collaboration that that, that developed. Mm. Um, and generally, what would would happen 
was um, that I would expand the suggestive breakdowns just to give more room. Mm. But that that nine panel grid, I think it's just a really nice read. It's a really nice pace per page. It gives you enough room in it within that that grid to you know draw some stuff and and actually have some content there. It's a very efficient as well for for in terms of working. Um, it's very easy to edit. So unlike like a you know like a, a sort of like um, narrative based comic where you can have these sort of exploding panels and stuff like that, yeah. when you're working on something which is more factually sort of grounded. There's that need to edit. You've got to, you have to sort of like go back and make sure that things mm. are right. And we did go through quite a prolonged editing process, didn't we, Alex? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we certainly, not least expanding from something like 10 chapters up to about 14 or 15 in the end. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would say with the panel grid, I was very consciously thinking of Tintin there. And my, as someone who loves comics and is always kind of pushing them on people, I find that about one out of every two people I talk to basically admits that they don't really understand how to read comics and no. they find it weird. And with that in mind, I was thinking, well, Tintin is kind of the most universally known and understood. We don't teach children how to read comics. We no, teach them how to read books and then tell them that they're childish if they still like comics. I was going to ask you, partly, do you have a favourite chapter or do you have a nightmare chapter? You know, which one kept you awake nights and which one did you like best? I mean, the nightmare chapter is easy. That's the one about recursion, which is oh, right. <laughs> annoyingly... I mean, one in a certain sense, recursion is not very difficult to define, but in the specific way we were trying to use it to talk about brain processes that went through several substantial rewrites <laughs> yeah that was that was that yeah that was that was a, a ride that chapter mm. uh, for, for me the, the the beginning of the book you know you we did we did do this thing in a linear fashion i mean broadly speaking mm. during the editing things got shifted around on the whole it, it represents the beginning of the book represents where we started roughly and so as a result well i when i look at it i can see sort of the the mistakes if you like for want of a better word in the beginning mm. where i'm learning how to draw the characters and stuff like that it's just a really practical thing where i just feel like i got better at it as i got as i got on the characters look more like you know they should and stuff so i loved i mean chapters one and five i mentioned it to profs as well it, it mm. to me it's like a primary in neuroscience it could be a standalone comic i think bloomsbury should put it out mm. as like a taster really um because i found neuroanatomy particularly very difficult when i was first taught it by a german mm. sort of thing in long lists and as soon as i twig oh no this is 3d this is visual then I could then get my head around it because I think very visually and I don't spell very well, you, you know. And I think that's what's perfect about this format for getting it across to... Uh, so any plans for spin-offs from, from this? Or have you had enough of the brain? From, you know, I, there's a thought if we could extract bits of those first chapters. I mean, that was very much from me. I think if my parents had done it on their own, they wouldn't have added those bits in because they're so in the world of neuroscience that everyone that they talk to takes all that stuff as read. And that's very much my kind of children's book background, saying, well, no, no, you've got to give people a sort of a hand here. But, um, I think they're fantastic. I mean, I, I taught neuroanatomy until last year and, and, and did it a whole afternoon. And a lot of the stuff that's in there is what I use in my teaching, you know, but all on visual PowerPoint slides, really, yeah. and visually sort of thing. So I, you know, I, I think they really, they really worked. And it's a kind of important contribution to... Because it is hard neuroscience, particularly neuroanatomy, to me. Uh, but it is visual, and I can see why people who aren't that visual 
are limited in that way, you, you know, wouldn't get on with it, really. But loads of people would get on with it who, who can't get on with neuroscience um, kind of otherwise. Uh, do you, what are you working on at the minute then? Are you, are you, can you talk about it? What, what do you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we're, 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 we're in the very early stages and it's a very fragile project, but uh, we're mm. talking to um, a, a really interesting geneticist at the University of Nottingham um, who has been studying snails. <laughs> and we're, we're beginning to think about a book that 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 would uh, convey some of his research, but also some sort of like some of the the fundamental science in that area as well. Mm. Making snails interesting could be a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> it should be very visual. I mean, we're definitely. I don't know. I, I think Dan's on the same sort of thing with me here. Is that got a taste for trying to write comics that bring science to more people yeah. <laughs> than hard yeah. science specifically, not not shying away from the complicated things. But if, I, I quite quite like. For this book to be much more kind of arty and loose yeah. and hopefully many pages shorter because 300 pages is is a big commitment if you'd have known what it would take would you still have done it but i think so yeah there must be 1500 images in here dan and yeah. at least i mean so heaven knows how many preliminaries yeah. can i just ask you briefly about the media you work in i mean are you are you do you use all media yeah. or do you it's ended up being this weird, I think probably because of my age, I'm 45, so I've straddled that transition into digital. It was part of my education at university and stuff like that, but it wasn't like a fundamental thing that it is for some young illustrator. So it's ended up being this weird amalgam of both digital and analog. So I, I generally work in sketchbooks with pencils and paper, right. Right. Um, especially in the drafting phase. And then I make ink and paper drawings in black, black, you know, black line drawings. Um, and then they get scanned into the computer and everything from there on in happens in the computer, all the colouring and prepping for print and stuff. I Actually, I've ended up using these really weird cartridge pens that are designed for lawyers. They take um, carbon ink, carbon-based ink, so it's fully waterproof and it's basically indestructible. You've, all, you've worked with all sorts of people. I mean, Ex-Offenders was an early project, wasn't it? And, and I was really taken with your Crucible project. In, oh, uh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, an 18-meter image. Just say a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I worked with... Um, so I'm from Brighton and Hove, uh, and uh, I was commissioned by the Hospital Trust to make a, an enormous mural for their new building. They've got this magnificent new building that's, ha uh, that's going to serve like this portion of the southeast of England. And uh, so I spent a year meeting and interviewing the different communities and sectors in Brighton and Hove that and asking them about how they've encountered the hospital whether it's patients or people that work there and I took all of that information and turned it into a long illustrated narrative which now links the new hospital to what survives of the old hospital which is the listed prayer room. I can't wait to get referred because it looks like a good, an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> really. Um, can, can I, in the last few minutes, uh, uh, Alex, can I just ask about your process? I mean, did was there lots of audio recordings of, of, of transcribing what they told you? or, or, or did No, notes, lots of emails? conversation, essentially, and oh. then me making various notes. And early on, I think I did have much more interaction with Chris and Uta about here's what I'm thinking for this chapter and this chapter and just asking them if they thought the structure seemed sound. But then essentially I would write up a script, send it to them, mostly to fact check, and then 
on to Dan and then it would go back to them for approval. And typically there'd be, I'd come across things where I wasn't quite clear that I understood exactly what they were getting at with parts of their lecture or the experiment and then basically just asked them to explain it to me. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's an awful lot to get your head around. Well, we're, we're, we're kind of um, running out of time. So um, I've really appreciated speaking to you and uh, taking your time. I can't wait to read the one about snails. What's the yeah. background? That's another genetics thing, is it, Dan? Yeah, it is. So um, a, a while ago, I was contacted by uh, Angus... Uh, Davison. Yeah, thank you. Um, at the University of Nottingham to, to illustrate this book that he was working on. Alex has joined us on this journey. Um, and his, his area of study is about handedness. So he's particularly interested in what causes handedness. And, um, and it's, it's this part of sort of genetics and human biology, which is like so poorly understood. It's that's the part that, it, that, you know, these are the areas when you talk to scientists, sit down with people that really know what they're talking about, yeah. you suddenly find out there are these vast waves of really <laughs> fundamental stuff that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that people, and that, that's so exciting, you know, that, yeah, yeah. that mm-hmm. these people with these brilliant brains are applying the, the rigour of their sort of trade to try and uncover these sort of unknown territories. That's the stuff that I really like about working with scientists. That's brilliant. Okay, we've less than a minute. So thanks ever so much. I'm, I'm really, really grateful for your time. Thank you very thanks, much. Thank you. Bye. 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 So many thanks to Alex and Dan for giving us their time and to Frost, Chris and Uta Frith in the previous podcast. I highly recommend their book, Two Heads, published by Bloomsbury, and Daniel's earlier book we mentioned, Out of Nothing. Links to both are on the episode notes. Also the Dave Gibbons book, How Comics Work, that gets a mention, and the excellent Logi comics. Thanks for listening. <laughs>